Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing Lou Santiago Jr. This episode is Lou's love story involving a blast from his past. His current wife meets his ex-wife. Get your dancing shoes ready. Lou is constantly evolving. He's a world-renowned drummer, a Navy vet, a born-again Christian, and a medical professional. Lou, welcome. All right. Well, you did just tell me that you met up with your ex-wife who you hadn't seen in 19 years and she still looks good after having kids and your current wife still looks good after having kids so <laughs> yeah. mom of four i'm feeling yeah. pretty good that you said i look like my picture heck yeah you go girl absolutely <laughs> oh my gosh i'm blushing here i just think that the 40s club we're really doing our thing i don't know i think we're looking really good for our age i think that a lot of people get confused because we don't look our age you know at least i've been told a lot at work and especially with some of my patients and they're like you're too young to know about that and i'm like bro i'm 44 and they're like what you know <laughs> so we got it girl we got it we got it going on so kill it keep repping <laughs> kids keep you young though yeah they do especially uh, especially mine they're uh, seven and and nine so yeah i have a seven nine twelve and one so yeah. i can relate <laughs> Most deaf. <laughs> so yeah, I love your story. We first started talking and you were telling me that you had some holes in your heart that have been around for a while. And I feel really honored that you shared your journey of mending those holes in your heart recently with me. It was pretty crazy because we talked on Tuesday and what was meant to be a very short conversation, we ended up talking for three hours. Pretty much you got to know my life story and stuff like that. And it's just amazing how we met up and we got to know each other based off of the K-Swiss connection. What's crazy about this, just like you opened up, is that two days later, there was a happy ending. Like two days later, the 20 years that I had condensed for you in three hours came to an end. To me, I just thought it was no coincidence that I was first married in August 20th of 2000. Next month would have been my 20th anniversary and we're in the year 2020. So I was just like, I guess it was just meant for me to receive my closure this year. We got to take yeah. it back. Home Tell girl. me about the first love of your life. Her name is Veronica. We met when I was three years old. My parents and her parents became friends by way of a mutual friend who was my father's, I would dare say, family member, you know? So when my father was an infant, he was being babysat, you know, my father was born and raised in Puerto Rico. He lived on the top of the hill and there was a, a house at the bottom of the hill. And my father, he would crawl down the hill to be babysat by a woman who we graciously called Tata. She graduated from high school a few years after graduating high school or shortly after graduating high school, her entire family moved to the States. Uh, they moved to New York, Brooklyn. My father then, when he grew up, he graduated, now we're talking about 16 years later, graduated from high school, 
also moved to New York and moved in with his sister and speed that whole story up. Met my mom, got married when he was 24. My mom was 19. My dad was 25 at this time. My mom now is um, pregnant with my brother. They were looking for another place. So they looked at an apartment in Brooklyn. So what makes this all kind of like, oh my gosh, goosebumpy and anything is that they went to go look at an apartment and my father used to come down, you know, to be babysat. So one of the crazy things is, is that here, my father is walking up the stairs to go look at an apartment in Brooklyn. And when they're at the apartment, a woman is coming down the stairs and it's Tata. After all these years of, you know, not seeing each other and all stuff, it's kind of like, you know, like, I don't know, serendipitous. They just find each other in Brooklyn. And here I am now, I'm two years old. My brother's, you know, one. And my sister's doesn't come into the picture until another four years later. She literally watched us all grow up and she became my sister's godmother. She was also the godmother of my ex-wife's sister. And she was the connection of, once again, her parents and my parents, you know, getting to know each other. So, so I knew my ex-wife since then and she was the first girl that I ever kissed. I don't know. I always believed that I was going to marry her. And How old were you with that first kiss? I think I was six. Yeah, I was like, ew. You know, I was like, hold on, time out. Ew. So I called her my ill partner. I'm like, ew, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty young. Yeah, so that's where, where we met. When I was eleven, I got accepted to go to boarding school on an academic scholarship. So I went to Hillside School for Boys and I lost contact ever since. Lived my life, you know, went to the Navy and then my sister was getting married. Went to my sister's wedding. And long and behold, Veronica and her mom and Monique were there. And that's the first time I saw her. And yeah, we ended up hanging out that entire night. And two years after that, we got married. Okay, so. we got to talk about the little uh, Navy chapter too. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. What do you want to talk about? How did that come to be? Oh, Lord Jesus. So I had a girlfriend, which in actuality, it was just a, a girl who was a lot older than I was. And I literally was just her F buddy something. So, <laughs> but I was, you know, like in love. I was in my last year of high school and I, I actually ended up dropping out of high school and I took my GED and I caught her with somebody else. Being that I already took the GED, I was just like, I need to get the heck out of here. So I was a butcher. And I worked, got myself my own drum set and just practiced. And I ended up quitting the job, having no job whatsoever now and dedicated myself to drumming in my parents' basement. I was practicing between 14, 16 hours a day. And I decided this is what I want to do in my life. You know, I want to become a professional drummer. So I joined the Navy because I wasn't going to get a job and I didn't have money for school, but the Navy would get me money for school. Literally, that was my motivation. I ended up going in August of 96. When drums re-entered my life, I was out of there. I was like, yo, I'm out. I got, I'm getting out the Navy. The Navy consumed my life. It was just the Navy. And I actually stopped playing drums. I became a cryptologist and a combat search and rescue swimmer. And I did a lot of special operations, the special forces support. My ex-wife reintroduced it into my life because when we were married, we were living you know, down in Virginia and I wasn't really doing anything. She said, hey, you were playing drums. Why don't you just bring the drum set down? So I started practicing about three hours a day. I got into a drum competition um, shortly after, about eight months later, and I won. And then I won the regional finals. And then I 
placed seventh nationally. And I was like, dude, this is just only after eight months of practicing, after a five-year hiatus with only two years experience before that. And I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Yeah, I ended up getting out of the Navy, got an honorable discharge, and decided to pursue my dream and become a professional drummer. I became the drummer for this band, and we were immediately picked up with the independent record label that shopped us already, and now we're in the middle of three major record labels making us offers and stuff. My wife and I, at the time, had a plan, you know, like she's always wanted to get into the military and serve at some point, you know, so we were thinking, well, go to the Air Force, you know, she already had her college degree and she can be a, an officer and whatnot and all that stuff, and that was the plan. So on our second anniversary, I wanted to tell her that we were made a pretty cool offer in the sense of a sign-on bonus of 1.2 million and it was going to be dispersed between the three members of the band. What I wanted to tell her was, do I take it and deal with what's going on in the band? Because they were pre Madonnas already. Coke was being used like crazy. You know, I wasn't doing any drugs at all. Um, so are you self-taught? Yeah, I'm self-taught pretty much up until I went to the collective uh, after I got out the military. I got the collective recognized by the military. So now anybody leaving the military can use their post-GI Bill, post-9-11 funds to study at the collective, which is a prestigious music school in New York City. I was the first you know, person to, to, to go to school there on military account. So I studied there for nine months. And that's where I got my formal training on how to read charts, how to transcribe and know the music language and stuff and how to read music. I didn't know how to read music prior to that, you know. Oh God, so, talk more about that. That's incredible. Yeah, it was an experience, you know, that that was my, my dream. But on my second anniversary, when I went to tell my wife the situation or stuff, whatever, she informed me that she was in love with somebody else and wanted me out of the house by the end of the week. Clearly, you know, you don't want to hear that on your anniversary. <laughs> so that was on a Monday. I had to be out of the house by Friday. And Friday showed up as if it was Tuesday. I remember I just asked why. The last word she said to me was, you know, I can't be with a man who's dreaming like a boy. I left. You know, I mean, I was stupidly crushed, you know. And uh, I, like, I fought for like two months to try and get her back and everything. Nothing. But... That was in August. So April, eight months later, I won a worldwide drum competition. And I was the undiscovered drummer of a worldwide drum competition in 2003. And then my career took off from there. My career as a musician was a very successful one. Uh, and I understand that not many can say that. How did you get so good? Now we're talking about post-Navy, post-Special Forces. You know, we're talking about mega discipline. So now... I have no wife. I moved back in with my parents. No shame in my game. I was just like, yo, I'm moving back in, you know. I still have my own room. And the Hispanic family, you know, they're like, yo, come on in, you know. <laughs> but once you're in mom and dad's house, they don't give a crap how old you are. You're in mom and dad's house. <laughs> the main thing is, is that I didn't just stay in the practice room. Is I was in the practice room, but then I would go out and play with real musicians. And they were the litmus test for me. They were like, dude, you're dragging, or dude, you're speeding up too much, or what the hell was that? You know, stuff like that. And playing here and being raised in New York City, you know, and, and playing in New York City, especially back in those times, you know, where music was still hot and heavy, there's no greater school than New York City to tell you, you got it or you don't. New York and, is pretty real like that. Yeah, I mean, we're not rude, we're direct. And we find it very disrespectful to beat around the bush. <laughs> we just cut the path right through the bush. 
and then just say, yo, come on, let's go. Let's grab a beer now that we got that bush out the way. <laughs> Do you think your training in cryptography and like you said, the Navy played into how serious you were about drumming? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I also think what also played the factor was the experience of my ex-wife leaving me. Because for me, I thought it was, I wasn't worthy. I didn't struggle with my worth in the sense of who I am and, and you know, self-confidence or this, that, whatever. Yes, as an artist, as a creative, as anything, we always have those self-doubts, those insecurities about, you know, is this good enough? Should I put it out there? Because, good Lord, I have been plagued by the perfectionist, you know, spirit big time. And I've learned even recently to, to just let go of that stuff. And I can't tell you how many things I've completed and just deleted and just decided I'm just going to start all over again. That's how cruel my perfectionism was. But I also understand it got me to the point where I am too, where I am well known in the drumming community. The worthiness, you know, that I'm talking about is what I'm offering, what I'm doing, what I have to offer, what I have to give. Am I someone worthy enough to want to maintain in your life, you know, because I have the goods. So that made me always want to make sure that, for lack of better terms, I knew my shit and I had my shit together. In the military, you have to have your shit together because if not, you know, your brother dies. That's it. That's just the way it is. Then all of a sudden, while doing the drumming, I got exposed once again to medicine through a missions trip. But I was trained also as um, amphibious EMT, if you will, you know, paramedic with the combat search and rescue swimmer. So when the whole medicine thing came around and I decided I'm going to put music on pause and pursue medicine, which is funny, my, my diploma is right here facing this way and you can see the medical thing. I just, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I applied it to that too, you know, and then while I was in school, this whole entrepreneurial thing started kicking in, incorporating drumming lessons and, and then bringing and applying medicine to drumming and all that stuff. So now I have, I'm still a professional drummer that is still, thankfully, thank you God, still respected in the field and still working. I film lessons through my online drumming website where I teach le drumming lessons for 99 cents to anybody who wants to learn. And then the next business is Musician Med, where I offer, you know, preventative medicine, health measures and tips to the uninsured, you know, to help them, you know, navigate which way to go without spending too much freaking money and, and to know directly where to go. So that way they're getting the proper attention and proper care. I didn't know that you did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In January 2021, let's kick off a podcast called Musician Med. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. That is so cool. You just have so much going on and so many interesting chapters. Okay, I also want to talk about the questions, the unresolved questions that you just had answered with your ex-wife. I dealt with that pain for a lot, a lot of years, for a long time. In and out of counseling, you know, therapy, whatever. And that experience actually led me to become a Christian, a born-again Christian. Uh, which is how I met my wife, which she was the music pastor at the church, you know, that I gave my heart to Christ to. And it was crazy because I told God, I'm like, yo, it's just me, you and drums. I don't want to have anything to do with nobody, like none, no females, no nothing. My wife was there, 
And I was just like, what the heck, you know? And at first I did not, we did not get along. We did, we did not click whatsoever. When it came to music, you know, playing in the church, we did not click. But outside of it, we became really good friends to the point where she was trying to help me get through the stuff with my ex-wife and even try to help me get back together with her. But she always keeps forgetting that she did that. <laughs> and then two years later, we ended up getting married, my wife and I. And uh, this November, we will be celebrating 16 years together. Wow, you've got me beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Melissa and I will be 16 years. Mel was very intricate in helping me through this because she's seen it, you know. And, and mind you, she's never even formed an opinion on my ex-wife either because it was never about her in the sense that I've, she's never heard me badmouth her. She's never heard me curse her, curse her name. I didn't even allow people to even talk negatively about her. It was just, I'm only speaking of my pain. That's it. Not pointing any fingers because once again, the first thing that I did was, am I worthy? What am I not doing? What didn't I do that made her feel I wasn't worthy enough to stay with or even want to fight with to, to talk and argue because I was accused, tried, and sentenced with no representation. Do you want to talk about what you were accused of? The thing was like in her mind, you know, she absolutely thought that I was having an affair um, because of the groupies and all that stuff and whatnot, and which was not the case at all. No, I'm nowhere near, please, I already know. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. Bands becoming famous, this, that, groupies, you didn't do anything, whatever. I'm like, I'm just gonna tell you this right now. I'm no saint at that time, no. Unfortunately, after that time, yes. And she had it cemented in her head that I was, and she caught me watching porn, and that was it. It was like, that was her evidence, and she just ran with it, and that was it. You also thought maybe her parents were in her ear? Oh, mom. She always fought me, you know what I mean? And, but then, you know, I won't get to the punt, I won't get to the end of it or anything, but I was so proven wrong. So Mel, my wife, Melissa, she's known of Veronica by my pain. What I was always triggered by rem remembering the past or my non-involvement with certain things because it just brings these reminders and all that stuff. And, and then eight years later, I felt like I had a big relief, like, Boom, I'm done. I'm like, all right, let's go. And then 10 years goes by, you know, so we're eight years in, 10 years goes by, which now we're a month ago. I play a song called uh, Real Jesus, and it's by Ruby Green. And I played it, and when I played it, I just, I don't know, I just had this joy. I, just, I literally just had this pure joy. I realized right there and then that I had not experienced in a long time. And it messed me up. Like, it messed me up and i just played the song over and over again it was just a two minute drum clip so i submitted it and and she put it on her page her first page and, and her instagram it's pretty popular on her page so i thought that was pretty cool because i hadn't played gospel music in a long time i don't know i just couldn't deal with it like i was just like something's up like what the heck's going on and then i started getting emotional and i'm like what the hell is happening and i just knew it was god just working it out like and, and then i was faced with the feelings of Veronica leaving me again. It was like this sleeper cell was still in my heart somewhere. That was just like lingering. What it exposed, the reason why I say the pure joy is that I was still somehow, even though still functioning in life, but those who really knew me and know me 
I said, man, just something's wrong with you. Like something's off. Like you're not the same. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, but, and sure enough, I was still operating under hurt, under pain, under, I would say anger, but anger in the sense of like, why the heck am I not over this? You know what I mean? Because I never had any anger towards her. I never had any anger towards Veronica or resentment or bitterness. I don't have any of that. So I was just angry that why am I still dealing with this bull crap? A whole week, I was like this emotional wreck. Then the second week, I was realizing that I was sleepwalking. And I just made amends with family that I felt that, you know, had told me something's wrong with you or you're not the same. And with my brother, with my sister, with my parents, uh, in-laws, you know, like, like just my real close friends and, and especially my wife, Mel. Because what I learned was is that I have not been able to love her fully. I love my wife. I laid down my life for her, my children, everything. But when I say I wasn't able to love her fully is that I lost myself in Veronica and I loved her so much that it hurt me so bad. I mean, it hurt me so, so bad that I was scared to go through that pain again and losing a loved one. And there's no way that I was having fear that my wife would leave me for somebody else. The fear was just the fact of if I love her the way I loved Veronica, and God forbid some, she would depart from this earth, you know, prematurely or whatever, I would be one complete wreck. Like I would just, I, w- I would be useless. So it was like a protective mechanism. But then mixed the military training of being able to remove and put your emotions in check so you can see a mission through. I was able to, in my mind, compartmentalize that and busy myself with my career, busy myself with this project, busy myself with studying for medical school, busy myself with, got this exam, you know, but it still didn't take away that all the things that I'm doing is also to make sure that I'm establishing a foundation, a strong foundation for my family. So therefore, should the day come and I depart, they're all set. When I was finally able to admit that to my wife, it, it was extremely, I felt the most vulnerable, the most exposed, I think, I have ever been. So much so that she was crying like crazy, like, just like, thank you. This is the most, the most vulnerable I've ever seen you. And I'm, I'm talking about, I was crying like a baby, like, you know, like that type that, you know, you got, <laughs> you know, like you got no, no air, that type, you know. Like, mom, just beat your ass with the chocolate style, you know? You know, she told me, I know I wasn't your first choice. When she said that, it was shocking. Like, what the hell? You know, like, what do you mean you're not my first choice? When I said, I need you to listen to me. I know I'm not your first choice in the sense that you were put in a position that you never thought you would have to make another choice again. So I know I wasn't your first choice when it came and, and when you look in that context. And now you have to find yourself making another decision and you chose me, but you've struggled with this. You've been living in fear. You've been living with this extra reserve of love that you know you can give, but you've been scared to give it. All I'm asking you is that you trust me and love me fully because I can guarantee you life is going to happen that if I do end up leaving prematurely, at least you would know you were loved exactly the same way, if not more back. Yo, I was done. Like, done. 
That's a special wife you have. She's a rock star, man. We have to talk about how you met with your ex-wife and your current wife together. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) I'm driving down, and it's early in the morning, and my brother says, you talk with mom? And I said, no. And he says, why? And he said, Tata passed away. I have told Melissa, I have told my family, I have told literally everybody that the day that Tata passes away is the day that I will see Veronica face to face and talk to her once again. Long story short, we got in contact and we talked about Tata, you know, we talked about details about the funeral and stuff like that and whatnot. And I just said, I went for it, freak it. I said, hey, are you busy? She's like, no. I said, "Um, you mind if we talk? She goes, yeah, sure, about what? I said, oh, you know, just the last 20 years, you know. (laughs) And she chuckled, you know, and and she said, "Uh, I'd like that. I've been meaning to talk to you. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So we talked. The first question I asked her, I said, was anybody in your ear? And she said, you mean like my parents? And I said, no, honestly, I'm just meaning like general. I'm not putting anything, just anybody. She goes, well, they were in my ear, probably just not the way that you think about, especially my mom because she loved you. And right there, forget about it, I was done. I already literally felt my heart begin to heal. And then the second question I asked her was, was I not worthy enough? And she knew exactly when I said not worthy enough because she knew I was a confident person. She knew that even if I doubted myself or whatever, it was just natural doubt. And she said, no, you were absolutely worthy. Even as the years went on, I was... I felt that I was constantly reminded of just how worthy you were. It was me. She told me of all the insecurities that she was dealing with and her state of being. And, and I, I got to be honest, I, I, I don't know if I was just so in love with her and just blinded by that I never saw anything. Like, to me, she was just perfect. And we were talking and she was speaking some, some real, you know, heavy stuff. And I was just like, you know, I get it. And I literally, after just ask, asking those two questions and her giving me her response, done. I was completely healed. <laughs> like, I can't even explain it. Nothing. There was nothing left. There was nothing left. You told me that you gave up dancing. Yeah, that was part of something I always did with her. And it was also really part of big time in my past as well. So you had those crossing paths of I associated dancing with a lot of the dancing that I did, you know, with a lot of dark past stuff in my life. It didn't help that, you know, we used to dance all the time, which I'm going to have to get my dancing shoes back on and just dance the crap out of with my wife, Melissa, because she is an awesome salsa dancer. Melissa is absolutely amazing. She's been there for me when I know for a fact other people, they definitely would have bounced. What was it like, like your ex-wife meeting your current wife? It's like this, literally. It was just like, so my wife and I are sitting down. We're waiting for her. She shows up. Oh, yeah. Sorry, peeps. So, yeah, after we talked, my ex-wife says, I don't know if I want to see you at Tata's funeral for the first time after 20 years, basically. I know this is going to sound crazy because I don't know what to say to you, much less say to you in person, much less your wife. But what if we had dinner? Melissa was just like, yeah, sure. And as the time was getting closer, Melissa was like, yo, I don't know. I don't know if there's a good idea. You know, and I was like, all right, you want me to cancel? And, you know, and we just went through it. We get there early. Uh, Veronica's showing up a little late. 
So <laughs> we're sitting next to each other, looking at the menu, and Veronica just shows up. And it happened so fast. Like, I just got up, gave her a quick hug, kiss on the cheek. And Veronica, you know, we, we stop hugging. Veronica moves past me, goes to Melissa. They hug and kiss each other on the cheek, you know, like just like a, hi, how you doing? Oh, my gosh. You know, like that, whatever. Sit down. Excuse me. Um, my feelings were the ones that were broken. You know, can I get into this conversation at all at any point throughout this night? They talked the entire night. It's like talked about kids and, and you know, motherhood. And so, you know, it's all these things. And I'm just like, what the freak? You know, and they just, they literally, they talked all night. And it literally got to the point where Melissa was like, you know, she's a really nice person. She's really cool. And then Veronica is telling me and, you know, text me saying, oh my gosh, I love your wife. She's awesome. And that was on my birthday. I got my heart healed on my 44th birthday. I have to say it was, it was a surreal moment for me. And I also believe, you know, I also helped Melissa too heal because here's the person that she has known to have had broken her husband's heart that up to a month ago pretty much was still in control. And I also got to help bring closure for her too. She thought that she was the villain in my story when it was the contrary. I said, no, never. I've never talked bad or poorly about you. I've only talked about my experience. And contrary, I've always loved you. I still love you. And I only pray for the best and happiness for you. You know, I can't believe that Melissa wasn't jealous of that at all. I think the fact is that Melissa was always aware of the fact because I always said, you know, I don't hate her. I love her. You know, I just want the best, but I'm not in love with her. Melissa understood that I still was sharing a love for my friend. I knew Veronica since I was three years old. You said, you know, we've known each other since we were three and four. How can you just cast me away? That was one thing that you said really hurt you so badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was still something that I wasn't going to be bitter about with her. It was something that I wasn't going to just say the hell with you. I wish the worst in your life. That would make me a hypocrite in saying, yeah, that I love her. No, it's unconditional love. And I mean, to me, that's the epitome of love, to be honest. I, I saw the movie The Notebook today. Okay. I just, I don't know. I was watching romantic movies today. You sap. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic. And I'm just like, nobody does it like that anymore. And when you look at it, Society doesn't allow you to have it that way either because of what you're fed with. The way it looks like, it's like, you know, it's all about you right now. You have the looks, you have the life, you have everything. So it's all you, all you, all you. When those things start to diminish, then look for love. Too late, bro. It's totally too late for that. Especially when that's the only mindset that's out there. Coupled with my own personal experiences with what I see coming through the ER doors, you know, when it comes to STDs and everything, to find love or to find people who truly are saying, I'm here for you and all stuff, that's a rarity. And what's even scarier is that I think that the picture of love has been diminished, that now there hasn't been too much of an example of what true love looks like and even being portrayed in our society. Like, come on, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, like that whole thing that's going on or whatever, like, we're talking about like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome how they are there for each other. And I'm like, bro, that's not freaking love. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you know what I mean?
today to say, oh, he loves me, can take any form now. So much so that I believe any young man and any young girl can fall under the guise that this is what love is, and then they stay a slave in something that they know they should be walking away from. What would you tell someone who has dated the wrong person again and again and like still believes in love? Because I do feel like there are people Mm -hmm. who don't know how to find it. I dare you, but I will choose challenge you. I encourage you. I would advise you. If you have found yourself the same person, the same person, the same person, and you're saying, well, this is the type of person that I like, go to the root, spend the money with a counselor, with a therapist. Speak about your roots. Maybe you can find out why you've grown this long to only be attracted to this type of fruit, when in reality, you produce vegetables. I guess that's an apples and oranges type thing where, you know, yeah, opposites attract, but some opposites are toxic. We live in a society that people are quick to just say, who the hell are you? What do you think? You know, why are you judging me? Why are you this? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just sharing this because I care about you. I want to just ask you one more question because yeah. you talked about your wife and wanting to love her fully. What are your thoughts on how to do that? How do you love someone fully? For me, knowing this question, knowing that I've done it before, you know, and all that stuff is I want to lose myself in her. And when I say I want to lose myself in her, it's just like, the thing is, I can do it. It's just I chose not to because I was scared. But when I look at Mel, I just smile. You know, I look at Melissa and I just know it's like, this is a real good woman. You know what I mean? And the reason why I'm smiling is because I'm just like, wow, you know, it's like, she's mine. Everybody should have that. I believe that's the way God designed it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. So, Daddy, what did you think? This is really Lou's love story, isn't it? Sometimes we can be in love with someone and, and you can't be with them for one reason or another. Uh, that's why they made that song. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And that can be very true because different tragedies happen in our lives and certain things and different twists of fate occur. Are you supposed to then be alone for the 50 or 75 or the 100 years that we're here? And uh, the answer is no to that. You should really rise to the occasion and search out and find someone that you can love. It's very interesting because his second wife said, if you give me all of you, you'll get all of me back, that you won't be disappointed, that if you give everything that you have in a relationship, she'll reciprocate it. And isn't that what also part of the love formula is as well? that uh, if you're really going to have a relationship that's going to endure, you have to be all in. I found very interesting how he got loyalty and dedication and really tremendous development in his thinking, just like my father, when he joined the Navy at a young age, Lou did as well, where he ended up even working on special forces and assignments and worked with uh, the medical field in helping and saving people and also being disciplined to be an excellent soldier and a loyal person to his country and to the men that he fought side by side with. Those are very important qualities to have. But look how long it took, and without that discipline, how long it took to get over his first wife, who just one day said, hey, uh, your music ambitions and not having a regular job or, or a regular career, she wasn't all in. 
into his dreams, she moved on and maybe wasn't all into him right from the beginning, even though they grew up together and they were friends and all of that, but wasn't necessarily the path that she wanted to take in life and was able to attach herself and love someone else. Very, very difficult when you put all in and you grow up with someone and you love them and you put it all in and you don't even know that you've done anything wrong and they're out of your life. What a tough equation to handle. Pretty crazy how they reunited, right? And then just like a reunion where you can see an old girlfriend from high school, uh, that was 40 or 45 years ago. You People have to move on and make the best path and life that they can with the girl that he's made a family with and who's accepted him for whatever his profession would be. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.